Augustus M. Taflati. Yep. That's that's who you were thinking that's what of. I was thinking. Um, he did that, but this is this is really strange. So I'm supposed to read this because I was going to anyway. This is going to be our prayer for the night, okay? Right. What he was singing that that song there. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Is that the song you were singing, Zach? That's incredible. We're supposed to put that together here. (laughs) Now, can you sing the rest of it? You're going to have to bring your instruments next time and play us a song, then. You just had a hymnal. Okay. Well, this is our hymnal tonight. It's a commentary on the Book of Romans, Volume 4. Um, this is another one here. Since we're doing quoting out of a book, uh, this was um, one Sunday afternoon in, a, in Scotland. And after church was over, the church janitor picked up a piece of paper, and this is what it said on it. And he says it must have been after a particularly long sermon. I feel bad about that. I looked at my uh, recorder last yesterday, and it was I had about three minutes left for for eighty minutes. So, what is that? An hour and seventeen minutes. I went. I'm surprised somebody didn't say something. Dennis, you're getting a little long-winded, aren't you? So, anyway, <laughs> Carolyn told me about it. <laughs> Show me later at night. Well, this says this, To dwell above with saints in love, I, that will be glory. To dwell below with saints I know, now that's a different story. <laughs> anyway, love for the saints. That's what we're dealing with in Romans 14. We're learning how to love God by learning to love each other, aren't we? How far do we go with our Christian liberty? We've been given so much liberty. Uh, A lot of room to graze as a Christian, but yet we see in Romans 14 and uh, and in 15, Paul addresses the issue, uh, what do we do when it uh, maybe is going to uh, go a little bit too far? We have freedom in Christ, but uh, we're not to abuse this liberty that we have in certain situations anyway. I think there probably are times when we really have to refrain from using these liberties that we have. They're gifts from God. They're good. But the issue for a mature Christian is how does a mature Christian exercise the freedom that he has in light of how it's going to affect others who may not see his um, liberties to be very spiritual, we'll say, the way that they judge it. when strong believers actually restrict their lives for others, for weaker believers, what happens is they can build a close relationship. And I'm not talking about going legalistic, uh, but we're talking about when there is a weaker brother and you on purpose give up certain things to make sure that you have a, a good, close relationship. And, and it builds out of it. it. It demonstrates true love for um, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and and then of course I think it demonstrates it to the world and some of those things we'll be looking at in our text tonight in 1 Peter 2:16 it says act as free men so we have we have, we are free but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as bond slaves of God and we know in 1 Corinthians 9 Paul says do all things for the sake of the gospel sake of the good news. So we're into a place where if um, some things that would be okay in the Lord, that could be a good thing, if it might really cause a stumbling block for others, then he's, uh, he's saying refrain from using your, your liberty there because you want to build up your brother. And that's kind of the gist of uh, where we're at and where we have been. Uh, the law of liberty, I guess you could say. The law of love in, in that liberty. Um Let's pick it up in verse 10, chapter 14, verse 10. What we're going to do is kind of go through some things here that um, maybe we could say, here's some things of how we don't do to keep from abusing our liberties. And the first one's going to be, don't judge your brother. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. This is putting the uh, the doctrine uh, into practice. All the doctrine we have uh, seen in all those chapters, and boy, this is where the rubber meets the road, I guess you can say. So he says that we're not to be judging uh, others. Uh, Christians are not to play God in, in the sense. Now, you know, we make decisions, and we have to uh, uh, make careful decisions, and using our best judgment. There's actually two different uses that you can see for the word judgment. The Greek word is krino. And one of them means, in in this sense, where we're dealing here, and, and it's in a negative sense, but don't do this. It means don't condemn, don't bring one into a denunciation. It's like a courtroom term, uh, a law-type term. And so it'd be dealing with that kind of judgment, to bring them into conviction, to bring them into a, a condemnation, that kind of judgment. But there's another view of that word, and we'll see that in a moment, and it deals with making a careful decision um, rather than just making a, a, a judgment in, in, a, um, in a legal type sense. Use your best judgment. Use your best decision in that matter. That's what I think we'll probably see, uh, what is it, in verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. Make a decision about this. Make a careful decision. Use your best judgment about this. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So, there are two uses. Same word. It's just a matter of what's the context here. And we know we have to make judgments all day long. Uh, about certain things, about situations, and even people. You know, how do we how do we uh, deal with them here? What do we say with them here? And difficult circumstances. But he's saying we're not to judge them in the sense of uh, we're not to despise them. 
as he goes on, uh, showing contempt, judging, uh, maybe there's doing something uh, that would seem a little bit too much far, too far-fetched for you. Uh, but he's, we're not so much to be so concerned about that um, when it comes to things that really don't matter a whole lot anyway, secondary issues and beyond. Uh, why do you show contempt for your brother? Why, why do you despise him? Why do you why do you why are you doing that? You know that's that's going uh, on an attitude of much further than what it would be to just trying to uh, correlate with a and fellowship with a Christian brother. And he gives a good reason for it. He says we're all going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to be judged. You know, we're not to play God and be the judge in that sense and, and to bring down condemnation and uh, denunciation. I like that word judgment seat because it's that word uh, bema. And I imagine a few of you are familiar with that word, the bema seat, the judgment seat. In, in this sense, the bema, the Greek world was uh, very familiar with that, especially if you would go to an athletic contest. The, uh, something equivalent to Olympic Games and, and that kind of thought. It's not a judge's seat like in a courtroom, but it's a bench where the, can you say it, the referees or the judges of that particular sporting contest would be setting, and whenever the winners would come up to that bench, they would been the, they would have been rewarded or awarded their laurel wreath that would have been put around them. They're winners of that. Um, or it could be on the other side, if somebody broke the rules and uh, they did something dishonorable in the games, uh, they're kicked out by the people that are on that bench. But uh, they're not going to get any rewards. They're disqualified. Okay. Uh, but the, the other guys are the winners. And then we get that. I, I can think of 1 Corinthians 9 uh, pretty quick here. As Paul's talking about an athletic um, event, something like the uh, the Olympics, there, uh, verse 27, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Um, he's been talking about. Well, back it up. Verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? So he's taking what they were familiar with. The, the games in Athens, for instance, or Corinth, the, uh, you know, they would even run the marathon, do uh, the wrestling events and the boxing and a lot of those same events that we have today. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown, something that's eternal. So he takes a physical thing that they're used to, that they know about, then he compares it with the spiritual. And we're there to receive the prize. He says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others I myself should become disqualified. So there's your disqualification. If he breaks the rules, then uh, he will. it's just like he would come up to the bench and the, the referees there would have to disqualify him. Other passages, you know, I, I press on toward the upward call of Jesus Christ. That, you know, that mark that Paul was after there, and there was a, again, it's kind of like a, the, the prize thinking. Second Timothy four again, that uh, the 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 imperishable wreath in that sense. 
Now, if we have temptation to judge others, as we read in verse 10, and as it moves into uh, at the end of 10 and into uh, verse 11, if we have that temptation, we have to keep this in mind, that we'll be judged by the Lord. And I think he's really up front. Just in case you uh, want to go around judging others, there is a judgment seat of Christ, which every one of us is going to have to uh, show up at. And God alone is the one who is qualified to judge minds and hearts. We don't we don't know what is going on in the uh, in the mind of an individual or their their hearts. We can't see that, so we have to be careful. Um, now, speaking of judgment seat, there actually is a time when we will have to give an account of what we've done here on earth with what we have been given. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, one sticks out here. Uh, Paul wrote about this a few times, right here in our Romans 14. Here's Corinthians and also, uh, I think, 2 Corinthians. In verse 11, we'll pick it up there. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Okay, the work that you're doing, being a servant of God, that foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, things that last, things that are eternal, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. What day? That day that we give our account. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So, you know, quite a, I think, a warning there, uh, encouragement too, and realizing that uh, there are rewards in the sense that we want, we want the Lord to say, well done, good and faithful servant or steward. We're stewards of what He's given us, our money, possessions, our time, on and on. Everything that we have, we are accountable to because we don't own any of it. And um, God owns it, and He's given it to us here in this time that we live here on, on earth. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5. Same thing He's speaking of here, basically. It's, it's, this is the judgment seat of Christ this time. Verse 9 says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. And here we go. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's that Bema again. The Bema seat. The Bema. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord... We persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Paul didn't have any guilt as far as he was uh, concerned, and um, the people knew that, but he says, I'm persuading you, knowing the fear of God, the terror of the Lord, uh, make sure that uh, you are walking in, in the right way and out to please Him. So it's not a judicial way, this Bema seat, in the way that a judgment would be on unbelievers. Because we know, first of all, that our sin was judged where? At the cross. There's still 
the stewardship matter, though, that we've done as being a Christian. Have, have we done those things to, to glorify God? We know there's going to be judgment on the earth. There's going to be judgment um, as far as uh, the, the beast and the false prophets, the Jews and Gentiles, people all like all across the world. Satan is going to be judged. There's, there's a lot of different kinds of judgments, but we're talking God is going to do that in a, a judicial way. And the ones that are not chosen are going to be judged at, in that sense. And we will be at the judgment seat of Christ. But uh, it's, it's dealing with rewards. And if we've done something good that uh, glorified God, it will remain. If not, He's going to throw it out. <laughs> it won't be any good. We might have done something good, but maybe our attitude or maybe our motive was wrong. And He can judge the heart. Wow, that's pretty sobering. Very sobering. And then he, he, what he does, what's really bad here, Paul, <laughs> you come and back it up. It's not like he's given an opinion. Anytime he states something, have you noticed in the book of Romans that he continually backs up his inspired Word of God with previous Scripture out of the Old Testament? And so he takes one that we're familiar with that comes out of Philippians, but actually, it was first stated in Isaiah 45:23. As I live, says the Lord, everybody knows this, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And you'll get uh, something very, very similar to that in Isaiah 45:23. Your Philippians 2, 10 and 11 is the same thing as he is quoting here. So he backs up the judgment seat thing saying, Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue confess. And that's even his believers. They will, they will be uh, there. Just because we're Christian doesn't mean we're going to uh, get off without an accounting. The accounting is certainly there. There are enough Scripture to be, be stated. I think it would behoove us <laughs> to desire to, to be living in every way. That word accountable, found in verse 12, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. That's each one of us. Each one of us. That's sobering. Every one of us is individually going to have to be before the judgment seat of Christ. I like that judgment seat of Christ. Now, I like the thought of the Bema. Do you see why there's a difference for Christians? There's the Bema. And for the unbelievers, there's a different kind of judgment happening because their sin hasn't been taken away. So we are in a, in a different sense that way, but still the accountability is there. What about every word? Are we accountable for every word that we say? Wow. Let's go to Ephesians 4, 29. Boy, if you, if you saw this, you go, my, I'm not going to judge a person ever again in my life, because he's saying, I'm going to be judged. Well... Here's a passage dealing with don't grieve the Spirit. It says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Then he says, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. For He's the one who sealed you on the day of redemption. <laughs> Boy, Paul, you're getting, getting awful tight here. Don't let any corrupt word come out unless any kind of word that should come out of you should be something that is for edification. And Paul's going to be speaking about that in our text tonight, about edification. And then as he goes into chapter 15, again, edification, edification of the body. 
he says, do not do anything that would not edify. Don't say anything like that. But you want to impart grace. That's what should be coming out of our mouths. Grace. Hmm. Um, go to Matthew 5, 4. I think I'm right on this. No, I'm sorry. It was Ephesians 5, 4. But you, are you turning to Matthew already? Matthew 12, 37. This is interesting. This is where Jesus is actually speaking to Pharisees who committed the unpardonable sin. (laughs) They actually did commit the unpardonable sin. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you you will be condemned. Now, just a little bit on the context. First of all, he's speaking to Pharisees, and uh, when you're talking about justification, we know we're justified by grace uh, through faith, right? We know we're justified in that sense, but what we say is going to show what is inside us. What's going to come out is what has been put in it. How often did Jesus speak about that? And here he says, you will, you will show if you're justified or not, or you're condemned by the very words that you say. Outwardly, it's going to, to be there. In this case, to the Pharisees, who were blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is... Uh, Kind of hard to do today, but they were right there in front of Christ. And they saw His miracles. They heard His words that He spoke. And still yet, they denied Him, which really they were denying the um, uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And so they spoke against Him in that He is the one who convicts. And there it was. They saw they had full revelation God Himself was right there. What more full revelation could you want? And that's why Jesus then says this, as the words that they had said. He had said uh, just back a few verses earlier, as a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. I think even Christians will give an account of of the things that we have spoken. So James has a lot to say about that. Who's been reading James lately? Kofi, you've been reading James. Did he have something to say about the tongue? Proverbs have something to say about the tongue? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty biblical thing. We have to really watch that. So that's one thing we're going to be accountable for. Uh, Matthew 25, we're going to be uh, accountable for our talents. Or have we stewarded, have we been good stewards of what He has given for us to use? 25-21. You know this, this guy has five talents, and he says, I gained five talents more. And then his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been fruitful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then we know the other example of the guy that had the one talent and he hid it in the ground. And we see the attitude that he had. 
but we're we're accountable for what he has given us our our gifts and just everything money obviously is a thing if you go into Matthew 6 you'll see that uh, our time buy up your time you know Ephesians 5:15 and 16 so accountable for a lot of things and i think that's what Paul is saying here evidently there were people who were uh, running over other Christians and flaunting their liberties and just not getting along with other Christians uh, just because well, they thought they were better or what, but some of these, these things were, were going on. Uh, as he says in 13, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore. You know, they, were, they were judging each other. So I guess whenever he comes along, he says we're accountable for all this. It says what we do right now in on this earth, in this time that we're given, it counts. So we want to check our inventory, what, what God has loaded us up with and what we're doing with it, and examine ourselves, and then dole up the body. And that's kind of where he's heading in here to next, to edify, to bring that body up, uh, to, to make other ones stronger. So, Paul used a pretty good backup there as he uses a, a text out of the Old Testament and talks about judging. Uh, he says, I'll tell you what's going to happen to you. <laughs> you are going to be judged by the judge of the universe. Now, so that's one of them. That's one of the things. How far do we go with liberty? Well, if we're judging somebody in with the wrong attitude, then we've gone too far, haven't we? Another one is when we become a stumbling block to others. Uh, we've gone too far with our liberty. Verse uh, 13, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. The word here. It resolve this or determine this, and it's that word crino again. This time, instead of coming out with that condemning people, it's determine this for yourself. Resolve this. Put this in your mind. Uh, make a careful decision about this. Put this into your mind and then use your best judgment. First uh, Corinthians chapter 8. And there's a whole section there in First Corinthians 8. We could probably keep referring to that all night because it kind of correlates with where we're at. But uh, it's about being sensitive and to our conscience and that kind of thing, the weak and the, the stronger brother. In verse 9, almost the same kind of verse, but beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. It's kind of saying the same thing, isn't it? Beware. Make a careful decision. Determine in your mind to be sensitive to where others who are weak, uh, they might, they're weak in, in being a believer, you know, that, that it's going to make them morally stumble. What you're doing is not necessarily wrong, and it can be good, but uh, another guy over here just, uh, he's not ready for it. And if we make them spiritually stumble or morally stumble, that's, that's not a good thing. It's not out of uh, this law of love. But Paul is really, um, I think, making it very clear as he hammers out different thoughts, different pictures, different illustrations on this. This Christian life, it goes against the grain 
of the way that we would like to respond. Well, I have my rights, you know? <laughs> yeah. What rights do we have outside of Christ Himself anyway? And if, and if He did that and He expects us to do that, wow, it, it, it is. Well, we just have to keep dying to self, don't we? Here's another passage about dying to self. That's a problem. It's selfishness. We're just selfish. Bent on self. You know, we, we go from being a Calvinist to an Arminian in a, in a, in a second. Because that's what, to me, Arminianism is, is it's centered on self. That's probably not the correct way to define that, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Determine this. Put it in your mind. What's a stumbling block? There's another word I have on your sheets there. It's kind of interesting. Scandalizo. Christ was a stumbling block. You know, that, that word is used as Christ was a stumbling block to the Jews. They stumbled over Him. They tripped over Him. And it was a scandal. That's how we get our word, English word scandal. But uh, scandalon. Michael Card had a song about that. You remember that? Michael Card, Scandalon. Do you remember that, Bill? Oh, that was back before your Christian days. That was when you came a Christian in the 90s, didn't you? Yeah, early yeah. 90s. Yeah. Okay. yeah, you wouldn't know. Is that for Bill? And I, I never, yeah, and I never. I think when he started in Christian music, uh, Arthur, uh, oh, shoot, I can't remember his name, Tony's buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a little pirate there. Yeah, yeah. Pirate. Yeah. Pirate. Yeah. Pirate. Yeah. We didn't call it pirating. We Victor called it pirating. Sharing. Cool. <laughs> That's what they do on the computer. Sharing the gospel. Hey, if somebody's weak here, Penny, somebody. No. Keith Green, now, he encouraged share. Yeah, the the uh, EM. Well, I started to say EMI uh, Sparrow Records at the time. Uh, sure, did not like that thought because he gave him away at his concert, and he said that'll be enough, Keith. And he said, No, no, this is my music. I want to give it away. They need it. They don't have any money. They need it. Well, they had they had their wars. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> Scandal on. Scandalizo. Um, a trap. Ah. This guy right here, he knows about traps and snakes. You set traps, don't you? You set traps out there? He's a country boy. Eldon's country boy. You know. <laughs> Snares, tra- he doesn't do it. You don't. These guys are, they have guns. Why would, you guys don't, did you ever mess with traps? Did you do rabbit traps? I bet you did. I did my trap. Ooh. <laughs> and those are, that, that's major trapping there. You had to have a snare, right? <laughs> Why not? The same principle applies. The quarry's just a little different size. And you don't have to leave your home. <laughs> this trap, or you have a snare, or you have something where uh, somebody can stumble. You're, you're setting somebody up to stumble all over you. And that's why he would say it there. Now, Christ, of course, was a stumbling block, but that was in a good way. Um, they just tripped over him because they didn't uh, see who he yeah, was well, and didn't want him. Tripped over and didn't think it was all that good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, it was it was all on purpose. But we don't want to do that to to anybody. We don't want to ca- cause one to stumble. And and that's really what Paul's saying. And he's he's using that all the way throughout. He keeps using pictures. You know, that, that's the reason I 
keep putting out a lot of words here that just jump out at you. It's kind of like word pictures. And uh, that's the thought. He's, he's definitely getting his, um, I think, thought across <laughs> as he keeps hammering it out, giving you more pictures and, and thoughts on it. I think today, and I don't really want to get into it too much, but I think... Oh, come on. Okay, let's go for it. The New Testament, we know, does not forbid drinking, for instance. We know that. It certainly does alcohol becoming a use to where it makes one drunk. We can know that for sure. We can say that. Okay, without a doubt, all Christians should be identifying with that. If you go throughout the New Testament, you'll see drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's their lifestyle and that's the way they are, that's what the Scripture says. We see it in the Old Testament. We can look at the Proverbs, and especially in the Proverbs. It's, why would I even want to bring this issue up? Well, I think it is becoming even more of a debated issue than uh, ever before, or it, maybe it has before, maybe there wasn't. Uh, I think most of the time, or a lot of the time, it would be good for Christians to abstain. But I'm not saying that somebody cannot drink, because I don't have the Scripture to do that. And so, therefore, I can't judge them in that sense. But here's what we can do. We can look at the times that we live in, and it certainly can have a negative effect on, first of all, former alcoholics. And, Bill, when you were doing the ministry over at Concord, and, and of course, those guys were coming in not only drinking, but uh, drugs and just everything. It just could be anything, right? Mm -hmm. But if somebody was in that group and they said, hey, it's okay, you know, I, I go home and I have, uh, i got to wind down a little bit and, you know, I have a martini and that really wouldn't be the place to be doing that with these guys who, are try who have got a problem and they're trying to conquer it, right? And I'm wondering, why are they trying to conquer it? Well, they've got a problem. Why do they have a problem? Well, he started with something they couldn't control it. The alcohol that we have today is, uh, most of the time, I don't see most people who can control it. I've ran into very, very few. The percentage would be almost nil. And, like, who am I to judge this? But I can tell you that there were many years I played in bars and clubs. Most of you know that. Some of you don't. This was back before... I got into the Word of God, and then as I got into the Word of God, I had to get out of the bars and clubs because I realized it. But I was still, when the Bible studies first started, I was teaching Bible study and then going to play. I never drank myself. <laughs> but it, it really bothered me. It bothered me really bad, and I talked to individuals and, and such, and it didn't really get anywhere. Um, but I will say that I saw a lot of people who had wasted lives and it revolved around drinking alcohol. Drinking in moderation. Say, well, I can drink, and I can just drink one or two, and I, I do it moderately. Well, it can cause you to fall into an area where you don't know how far you can go. Yeah, you're doing good right now, but beware. Take heed, lest you too may fall. In our country, we have statistics, and the world puts these statistics out. And all they do is support, uh, maybe people ought to think about abstaining from alcohol if, if it's causing this much problem. Families destroyed. It's incredible the number of families are destroyed because of alcohol. Uh, it can be the wife, more often than not it's a husband or it's both of them. The auto accidents that happen right, right now, between now and, and till it gets light, 
80% of the accidents are caused by people who've been drinking. Liver damage, cancer, um, the way it's presented in our society, my goodness, it's put, presented in a worldly way. If you look on the billboards or you watch TV and you see, go, well, I don't know if you hear, hear this anymore, but go for the gusto. You remember that one? You can name every one of those, and they all have this slogan, and, and it's usually involving sexual things and everything else. Of course, I know all the commercials do that. You, you can't even watch a hamburger commercial without that. Isn't that ridiculous? So I can't even use that one. But all the beautiful, but cool people. The cool thing to do. Doing, yeah. drink and going to the cool parties. And exactly. And then in our culture today, most of the denominations, or I would say many of them, do not encourage drinking or they uh, do not have any drinking at all. At least they don't support it at all. And they'll tell you that it's, it's, it's not good and it's bad in the evangelical realm for the most part. If if another Christian saw you, it, it's going to cause a stumbling block. It, it's a bad witness. If you go into, if I went into a grocery store, being here at Alpha and Omega, I'm very much known among the the Christian community. And if I went into a bar or a grocery store and bought a six pack and put it up there, I can guarantee you somebody is probably going to see me, <laughs> and that's probably going to cause a big stumbling block for somebody. That's one of the spiritual laws. That somebody will see you. <laughs> yeah, right. I get you. <laughs> and not that I would be tempted. By the way, I never. By the grace of God, I never drank while I was in those clubs. I never did drugs, and I played in bands. I had long hair, <laughs> but I just played guitar. You know, I just played guitar. But that long hair could have been a <laughs> It probably was. <laughs> Whenever I went into First Baptist and went there every Sunday morning. Well, I'm gonna, I have, back I have in the two, 70s. Two quick comments. Um, the first comment when it comes to alcohol, and I mean, we know that the, that the believer does have freedom. Um, and I heard it explained very well one time, and that is from a spiritual sense, and that is that you and I, if we're over 21, okay, have every right to share a bottle of uh, a bottle of wine with our. Um, wife of our youth or whatever, okay, on a Saturday night or a Friday night or whatever. Um, but the thing is, is that, is that throughout Scripture, we are always called to be control, self-controlled, alert, and ready to serve. And you can't share a bottle of wine with anybody and continue to be alert, hmm. self-controlled, and ready to serve. And that's where, you know, God will use you, I believe, as you are available. And and I think that sometimes when someone, you know, gets into that second or third glass of wine, they basically say, okay, God, I'm punching out. Um, you can't use me anymore because I've now crossed over this line. I have line. an excuse here. You know, because yeah. I've now crossed over this line. Right. And, and, he, and he, he probably won't because you basically let him know by your actions, I'm not available. Right. And I'm not interested in doing anything. Now, and, and this obviously can be, you know, can be held out in the in the pastorate and the in the youth, you know, people. I mean, the, you know, youth leaders who, you know, who who, you know, think these days that, you know, that it's okay for them to drink. I mean, I mean, you never know. You, you take that wine, that bottle of wine on a Saturday night, and I mean, one of the youth groupers could be in an accident, and you're in no condition mm. to go to the hospital. And you know, I mean, if you're an elder or deacon or whatever, you're in no condition to go to the hospital. And, Pray with the family uh-huh. if you've had 
four or five glasses of wine, let alone getting to the hospital. I mean, if something like that would happen. So I just kind of you're out, you're out, you're yeah. essentially putting the light on like on the taxi. And we're always to be available in season and out of season exactly. to preach that word. So I mean, so scripture is very clear about always being ready to serve, um, and, and you could use that as a as one way of looking. The other way, as far as the stumbling block, and I'm sure you're probably going to get to this as we go, is 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 the foundation is love, and and it's not just you know it's not just alcohol. I mean, you know, they they went back and started talking about meat. Well, we don't, in this society, we don't have a problem, you know, with meat, you know. Vegetarian. Um, right. Well, I know, but, you know, but, yeah, but, but they're free. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, I heard it. No, but it's more, it's more prevalent in, in today. Alcohol is more prevalent in today's society as a stumbling block that we sort of, you know, blow other people off, you know, as far as, as far as, you know, a stumbling block. And, and, and that's where that, you know, that love factor comes in. I mean, you, you don't drink or you don't do something that's a stumbling block for someone else because out of love. Yep. You know, love for that person as your fellow as your fellow Christian. I think that's what Paul is stressing so much here. Whenever he started chapter 12, he got into the whole the love issue. Then, boom, he moves right into it in chapter 13. What's 14 all about? Same thing. And it's, it's, it's a love for the other one probably a lot of people can control whatever it may be that they're dealing with that they could have a liberty to. So therefore, I'm not going to judge them and their motives. Okay, fine. But I can tell you, in the society that we live in, it causes major problems. Most people can't handle it. And even Christians who might see you, this is going to cause a problem out of love. Maybe you better think about this. As, as Paul has already said, to resolve this, not to put a stumbling block. So to me, I think it's a very serious thing. And I take it seriously, and I still can't judge that person, but if they are in a position that is in front of people, whether it be um, as far as they're taken to be a spiritual leader, or you know they're doing something that people look to them as, um, as a spiritual giant, and all of a sudden this comes along and it causes all sorts of problems, it's something to uh, definitely look at. And I, I think it would be much wiser to do, like even in the Old Testament, the priest uh, didn't take uh, of, of the vine. Uh, John the Baptist didn't. They abstained. There was, a, there was a higher level that people went to. And then the, the percentage of alcohol is incredibly different today than it was then. Because you, the the wine that they would mix, they would they would drink all the time was so diluted that it really wasn't an alcoholic drink. If it was, it was very very minimal. It would be like a near beer. Remember that the three point two. It was less than three. Is two percent to one percent. Uh, very rarely would they have anything over that, but but they did because we know there was there were drunkards and they had the same problem. So therefore, they would mix it to to be strong to to make it change their their thinking. Why would a Christian want to, even with one drink, have the possibility of changing their way of thinking? They're not as sharp like what you were saying there. So I, I spent a little bit of time on that because I think that's a big issue in our environment, our society today, and how does it affect the church? I think in a huge way it does. So when people want to argue with me on that, when they start dealing with I'm not going to judge them for what they're doing, but if they are affecting other people, then I am supposed to go and tell them, hey, 
somebody else has a real problem with this, here's where you need to look at it. You're, you're a strong Christian. You need to look at what you're offending because that's exactly what Paul is saying here. So I, I think that is a huge issue. Uh, that That's the reason I bring that up. Yes. 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 What about well, a little later? I know you get to this, but in verse twenty-two, right? Right. It says, "So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves." Exactly. Exactly. And and there eventually it's going to boil down to if this is going to offend people, I can have it between me and the Lord, but I want to make sure that what I'm doing is it, this is not going to get out of hand. I have it under control with the Lord. And and there's there can be people, whether it be that or what we've been talking about or something else. Absolutely. Because this is going to come down to ultimately uh, your own relationship. If it affects others out of love, I'm not going to make this a stumbling block where they can see this and be a part of that. But if it is, then I'm going to make sure this, because that's going to, make, that's going to please them and it's going to please the Lord in that way. But yet you have the freedom to do, and if you know that thing is perfectly fine and you're settled with the Lord and your own conscience, then you know everything is free. But, and that's where Paul comes in on this. So this, this, that's what this whole chapter is about. Uh, there are, there's not necessarily black and whites that we can put down here. But we know, as long, whenever it's offending somebody, whatever we may be doing, and we don't think it to be wrong, then we must let them. And yes. then there's that passage. And I'm not sure if it's in Romans about where it says, "Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God." Yeah. So. <laughs> Can I do this to the glory of God? Yeah, I, you know, I mean, and, and then and then the and then the underlying current, you know, is is love. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's I think simply that's what Paul's putting there, and he he gives qualifiers in here, but we really have to be using very good discernment. I think that's why in verse thirteen, but rather resolve this, or make a careful decision. Use your best judgment. Use your best judgment that you can on whatever that issue is. You know, and there's so many different examples I'm sure we could use, because you know we we come into those things. Um, and I, I, as we go on to verse 14 and 15, I I think we have to think of everything of how this will affect others. How is this going to affect them? Now you know what we're doing. We're taking ourselves out of it. We're dying to self. And we're putting into place the practice of love. Verse 14. I know, and he uses two words here. Boy, Paul knows exactly what he's saying. For for one thing, he's inspired by God's Spirit. (laughs) I know and am convinced by the Lord. Okay, this, this is without a doubt. Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers it anything to be unclean to him, it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Okay. Now, he uses the word here, um, no, it's weda. O-I-D-A, I know, 
It's not that word gnosis. It's very related to it, but it's, it's an absolute positive knowledge. Absolute, positively, he knows. And the next word, convinced, is he is totally, absolutely, not only convinced, but persuaded. And, you know, he's to the very 100% degree. <laughs> I mean, he absolutely is persuaded. He knows this. The word piatho. I'm convinced. And it's because the Lord, Jesus, <laughs> gave him this as he is inspired as he writes this. There's nothing unclean of, it, of, it, of itself. Things that God has created and everything, but um, with, within um, reason. <laughs> okay? There's nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers it to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Well, somebody else considers it to be that way, okay. The strong person might be right, and he can enjoy anything that he knows the Lord has given, and it's not condemned to sin. That you know, obviously, that's that's where we're in. But and the weak can actually be wrong in not having complete and mature understanding. Okay, they can be legalistic about it. And they can be wrong in the sense of not having a full knowledge about it. You could be right, but still, what are we to do with it? Well, he says in fifteen, if your brother is grieved because of your food, or any of those other things we talk about, then you're not walking in love. You, you know, give it up for him, you know, in, in, that, in that sense. I know that's asking a lot, but Paul is saying give it up for him. Don't destroy with your food this liberty that you have, the one for whom Christ died. And boy, he goes to, uh, to an extreme there. He uses the, the very sacrifice of Christ. I've had Christians that say we need to boycott certain businesses because they think that they like they 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 are giving money to homosexuality or they're giving you know money for abortions. They've heard or they've been told and stuff like that. You know certain products stuff, and yeah, such. Yeah, right. you know, certain stores. They don't. They you shouldn't go there. You know, don't go there and stuff like that. Well, I would make the point not to mention if I had no car to sell there to them. You know what I'm saying? If that was, you know, you know, you know what I mean? They, they kind of, something about that store that business bothers them. They think that there's something there. You know, they're trying to boycott Walmart or something. You know? Okay, but then, see, when you start doing that, and that's why it's <laughs> been a problem. Why is that a problem for me? When you start doing that, let's say they'll have the problem with pork. So when I'm with Bill, I'm not eating any pork. I'm not going to do that. He's okay with fish. I love Bill, and I don't want Bill to be offended, and I don't want Bill to be stumbling again. Don't tell him it's pork. Now now I go out with with, uh, Carolyn, and we go out and have some pork chops, and Bill happens to walk by our table. Now i got a problem. Bill thinks I'm a stinking hypocrite. It's dull. Mm. And I am. So do mm. I now say, okay, for the sake of Bill, I'm never going to eat pork again because I don't want him to catch me out eating pork with Carolyn. Well, eat it at home. Well, what that's if you what come over to my house? That's what most Christian drinkers do. Okay, so they you don't talk about their drinking until they get somebody to drink. You come over to my house drink. to pick up some Bible <laughs> study material, and there I got the pork chops on. Yeah. Now I, here I am again. See, I, yeah. and, and I'm saying if you're gonna, if you're gonna, just act like something for some people so that you won't make them stumble, but you're gonna keep doing it anyway somewhere else, then how is that a good thing? That's just a hypocrite. What did Peter do? Well, see, that's the scripture I'm thinking of. 
<laughs> what, what? Peter got in trouble. Doing that, <laughs> he did, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> well, now, we got an illustration of this later on, you know, like in Corinth, but one of them where you, where you have like a couple of Christians and then a non-believer. But here we have three Christians, right? We're making it complicated. I'm sorry this is not biblical. We're going to have to move on. I don't know. But I think in that case, I think Bill came over there, and he does have issues, and she used to bring that up, the issue up with Bill about the pork. It's a sticky issue now, boy. Yeah, this is sticky. You're gonna, now you're going to have to probably start lie. talking about it. You can't lie. You can't lie about that either. Yeah. Like that. Then you should say, well, Bill, can we sit there and look at Scripture about the court? Yeah, sometimes you're you're not going to win. You're not in a win-win situation. I've been to people's houses where it's not just a bottle of wine in the, in the fridge. It's a whole wine rack. It's like a shrine. Yeah. You know, they're Christians. And you're like, whoa. Wow. So when I start my diet, then, does that mean you're going to quit bringing food? <laughs> well, I'll see. Uh, <laughs> you request that, yes, we will. Well, I'll tell you what. Because we love you. That's you right. Okay. That's, well, that's the bottom line. Well, we're if you were, that's right. Do we all eat in our cars then and let it go? <laughs> <laughs> we, we have to keep running out of here. This is where you, I mean, you run around. This is real tricky. No matter how we'll politely remind you to be gracious to not put a yoke on our backs that Christ has to take. <laughs> well, now, Eldon, you know, he's not supposed to be uh, eating sweet things in there. And what do we always bring here? You know, it's but as long as he has just two. Right? Because you can't eat just one. Two's okay. Right, Janice? A lot of times I've skipped it all And you've done, done really well. Because I don't think I could do, you know, that. It's, that's hard to, hard to push. But, you know, I mean, but so that, you know, there again, you know, he, you could start an issue with that. Yeah. No matter how much liberty you want to take, there's always a, a stopping point where you're yeah. going to cross the line. And, yeah. And, 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 I think that's true. Part of the difference is they build and have a problem with pork. Well, you don't invite them to the house for or pork chop dinner. But if he if he has an issue with it, he's got to know. He's got to know there are a ton of Christians that don't have an issue with pork. And you think the faith that in you and then you know, but you don't say, Oh, Bill, get over it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> get over it. Get over it. Get over it. I don't drink. I've never drank. And it took me a long time to, to be at ease at all with any Christian that had a bottle of wine in the refrigerator. But I wouldn't say anything to them. But I'm a little easier about it than living in Jefferson City where everybody's got a bottle of wine. It's just City, I know. When I moved down here from Eldon, I was shocked. There's these little towns around here, and little kids, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds, were walking down the streets, and they called it a picnic. You remember the picnics that they have here? They call them picnics. And they were walking with beers in their hands down the street, and the policeman would be a block away. You know, he, they didn't do anything. I mean, I was, I was in a total different world where I came from, and I saw this, and I go, how does this, how does this work? How does this happen? I, you know, rude awakening. Yeah, this, this is a different area. 
what did John Calvin say about this? We, we've seen the ultimate in, in the scripture here, but uh, do you think did, did Calvin agree with this? He was a pretty hard man, wasn't he? I, I say that in jest. He's, why, the, why the strong should forego privileges? Number one, the, the law is violated if the brother grieves uh, for anything that even such a slight a reason. Number two, the price of the blood of Christ is wasted when the conscience is wounded, for he was redeemed by the blood. And number three, see that men don't slander our liberty that we abuse. And that's talking about like outsiders. And they see us doing something that they think that Christians should never do. They already have it in their mind. By the way, most unbelievers, some of the liberties that we would have would think that it is wrong, but yet they do it. But if you as a Christian do it, they'll get you for it. I mean, how many times have you, maybe it might have been addressed, well, I can't believe you as a Christian are, are doing that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I think he's as his commentary goes on, on Romans and that is more or less saying what, what Paul is saying here. It's, it, it seems like in a, quite the extreme. Uh, we're about at the end here. Verse 16, he says, okay, oh, by the way, that word destroy, do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ dies. Not destroying the food, but destroying that one, that individual. The word is apalumi. And apo means to be away from. Apalumi means to be split away from, or there's a loss, or ruin, a loss of well-being is the idea. A lot of times you'll see where um, where people are, are going to be destroyed. It, biblically, we know that everybody will live on, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. There is, you know, an eternity. Uh, and But they will be destroyed. What does that mean? Well, it means there will be the loss of well-being. There will be a ruin to them but yet they still are intact, I mean, as, as, as an individual. So the, the, uh, the idea there, when you see that word, that's, that's the thought of it. It's not like they're going to be destroyed and that's the end of them and, uh, you know, that's it. Uh, by the way, there's even limited atonement here. We could, we could spend a night on that, but um, that's, that's found there in uh, the end of verse 15. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died, for whom... Did Christ die? He died for the elect. The one, the, he, you know, there's a particular one that he, that he died for. On behalf of the elect. The scope of the sacrifice, you know, in the sense that it's unlimited, I guess you could say, in, in its sufficiency, but it's really, it's limited in the application. I mean, all the ones that he's going to die for, and, and that all the ones who are elect, he will die for, and uh, so it's, you know, that's, that sense. Don't blow your witness, verse 16 through 19. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, especially when unbelieving world out there sees our actions. Uh, we're responsible to God, but also to weaker brethren and, and then to the watching world. And then he gets into a, a verse, I really just, I just don't want to be rushing it, but the kingdom of God, and that's in that we're in that realm right now. We're in the kingdom of God. There's the now and the not yet. We're in the kingdom. If you're Christian, you're in the kingdom of God. It's not about just, it's not these physical things that makes that up. It's not just eating and drinking. But what is it? It's righteousness. That's having Christ's righteousness. 
we don't have the righteousness ourselves, but He has given that to us, granted His very righteousness. And peace. When we became Christians, He reconciled us. Now, that's not necessarily the thought that He's saying here, although it is a little bit, but really it's talking about the peace with God that we have now, or, or the peace of God. We had peace with God when we were justified. Now we're no longer enemies. But we have peace, the peace of God in our lives. So if you're in the kingdom, what results out of that is that you have this peace, the very peace of God in you. And as a result of that comes joy. When you have that very peace in this kingdom and this righteousness of Christ, then how can you not have the joy that stems right out of it and in the Holy Spirit? And, of course, that's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Peace and joy, both of those are. Um, we're, we're interested now, you know, in, in uh, serving others. and uh, It's just natural expressions here that just flow out of this from what was above there. And then he says at the end of 18, For he who serves Christ in these things, when, when we do these things, it's acceptable to God. The word there is euarestos. Well-pleasing. It's well-pleasing to God. That's the thing we want to do, isn't it? To please God. And it's approved by men. Dokimos is the word there. To put to the test. They can put us to the test. They can put us to the fire and show what's real. It's for the purpose of being approved, acceptable to God, and approved by men. We're tested out by men. They watch our actions. They see that. And uh, they see our love, we, they see our peace, they see the joy, they see the righteousness of Christ in us, whether they be Christians or not. I think, first of all, though, the, the aim of every believer is what? To please God. And as you please God, there will be some people that will be testing you out, they'll be watching you. And um, not always are we going to be, what? Approved by men. We're, we're promised to be persecuted even, you know, Christians are. But there are some that they're actually approving your actions after they have studied you and that you're you're really for real. Uh, We're approved of them, though, because we are well-pleasing to God first. Don't try to please men just to be pleasing them. We have the wrong motive then. Peace and edifying others. So he says this, Let us pursue the things, because all this, he sums it up, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. And here's your edifying, building up. Oikadameo. Oikadameo. It's uh, the word for house is in there. Oika. Build. Build a house. To build up. God is building a temple. Therefore, let us perceive the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. This is the whole idea that we build up uh, another person. Do not destroy, and there's that word again. Uh, it, it's a little bit different than the one that we were looking at. This is kataluo, basically the same thought. Loosen and tear down. Okay, we have edification in verse 19, building up, and he says, you're in danger of destroying the work of God if we if we make one stumble. If we start loosening up that building up that God is doing, if we're not edifying and building up and we come in, we can destroy the work of God for the sake of food or for the sake of the thing that we treasure so much as our freedom. 
He says you can destroy all of that because of that. Don't pull down the work of God. I think that's what he gets to in verse 20 and 21. Um, all things indeed are pure. And he has already said that before. Nothing's unclean. All things are pure. But it is evil for the man who eats with offense. That offends one. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Now, has he been saying this all along? It seems like he's saying it every other verse. And then we get into the section that we were just uh, uh, Janice was dealing with there. And, and this is for the one who is strong, and whatever that freedom that is. And that could be a number of things. You know, that, that is a good thing. That, that's just, it's just fine. But it might be a stumbler for one individual. Okay, so, but do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. When you know that that would be a legalistic thing that you got into, let's say a King James Version Bible. Fantastic Bible, great. I've used it, grew up on it. Uh, I think that the, the NAS is really the best translation there is, the most accurate. ESV does pretty good. It's right there, you know, just a little under it. And New King James is, you know, I use the New King James, but uh, it's close. It's close, huh? Are you saying that based on what's in stock? Yeah, I, I got to make sure. Yeah, <laughs> but I have people come in here that are King James only, and for one thing, from a professional standpoint, I'm not going to start jabbing at them. But I and Zach was talking about this this morning too. You know, they have an air about them sometimes, <laughs> and they come in and make it very clear. I want King James and King James only. And sometimes they have been known to say, all those other ones are New Age Bibles and they're trash. You know, Well, they can say what they want. If they want a King James Bible, okay, fine. Now, they're, you know, I'm tempted sometimes, and I probably have somewhere along the line, <laughs> uh, said, do you know the history of the translations of why we have what we have? Uh, sometimes they've heard things either from their church or read things that have been distorted that is not accurate and they have no knowledge at all. Sometimes they have a little bit, but uh, most often they haven't even checked it out. They don't even know why they say that. But I'm not going to try to stumble them and say, well, no, I'll tell you what, I'd rather you have an NAS. I want you, you have to, you have to buy this. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's the best seller. <laughs> it's number one. <laughs> you know, you know, very very much of the time, it's right on. Uh, it was meant to be very readable, and it is. It's probably one of the most readable versions that still maintains an accuracy. Word for word, it is not, and it was not meant to be word for word. It is not a word for word translation. If you want to get into accuracy and in studying words like the words that I'm coming up with here, you're probably going to be a lot safer going with the reason I said uh, King James and New American Standard and New King James and ESV. They're word for word. So to do study, and I will tell people that those are the best ones to get. But to read, and you can still study in the NIV, but to get into you know the, the very accuracy of it down to the very nth degree, it depends on what level you're at and where you're at. Oh, here comes my Alpha and Omega stuff here. This, this is, why'd you ask that for? Well, no. that's why John Piper likes ESV. A lot of you reform people are. If you can tell a reform person, usually today they say because they carry an ESV. <laughs> That's not always necessarily true, but 
that that is becoming kind of a standard for reformed people. Uh, the Lutheran Church definitely has uh, endorsed that. Presbyterian churches, uh, Reformed Baptist, uh, or anybody else that comes from whatever. And, you know, I'm seeing that used a lot. I'm not saying that that's the best. It is very good, though. It is very readable. Very, very, just as readable as the NIV yeah, and still accurate. Yeah. Do I speak against the NIV? No, I don't. No. TNIV, I absolutely do. I, I will not, I will not sell it. I don't want it. I don't want to have any part of it. Uh, today's NIV and it's uh, gender friendly and uh, it goes along with. Okay. Yeah, I have some problems with that. And I know some other ones are coming doing it too. Yeah, but entity formerly known as God. Yeah, that's kind of where it might go, right? Anyway, uh oh, now you're going to get in trouble. Everything we've been talking about is how I am to act in relationship to the people around me, so I don't offend them and give glory to God. What? what does it say, or what am I, is my response to be to those around me that don't act right? For instance, I I knew a couple of guys that were in church every time the doors were open, and I genuinely believe that both of them were Christian. They prayed, they read their Bible, they come to Bible studies, they, they did all the outward signs and the evidence that I could gather from them, they were Christians. I've seen both of them so drunk they couldn't stand up. Now you've got a different situation. Yeah. What am I supposed to do in that situation? I think you go to them and you open up the text where it says... How many times do you do that? Over and over and over again. Yeah. And they'll go for six weeks and everything is great and all of a sudden... They call you at two o'clock in the morning. Oh, you down and you come get me. Yeah, that's sad. That's a sad thing. I think that's where church discipline comes in. Where another, where you, one person goes to them, and then you have a second person, and then you have a third person, and then if they continue to do, because drunkenness is that's we know that's gone over the line. We've got we'd emptied our church in a few months if we did that. Maybe that's what needs to be done. But somebody needs to shit. That's, that's a shame. That wasn't supposed to offend me. I was supposed to be loving and concerned and caring and look after them and minister to them. As they're going on their way to, if they stay in drunks, as they are walking in their way right on into hell. <laughs> you are loving. You are loving because you have... You've dealt with them. I think someday we'll see them there. But the thing is, if their lifestyle is consistent drunkenness, Scripture says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. I would at least use those verses and say, you know, you sure look like a Christian and act like a Christian, but right now you don't look like a Christian at all. I'm not so sure what you are now. At least they need to have the fear of the Bible, where it says that drunkenness all over, you know the drunken scriptures, I know you know all those. What, what do they, how do they respond whenever those are brought to them? How do they, what do they say then? Well, they were just as sorry as they could be and never happened again. And, and I know what you're saying is true and I'm going to change. And I make all these promises to the church and to my wife. Yeah. And, 
everything else, and, and they would be true to that for the next six months. They really meant it at the time, and then they fell again. And I think there is a part where, yeah, you have to be loving, and like like what you've always done, and you continue with that. But where where they have kept on doing it, then it's where another brother comes up. I think that's where the discipline has to come in for their own good. We don't do it to get people kicked out. We do it why? Because we want to see them restored. They have a problem. They admit they have a problem. So therefore, if they have people backing them up and praying for them, but if they have a fear that, hey, this church could put me out of here, and I don't want to leave the church, and if it's because of my drunkenness, I have to do something about this. Either seek physical help, and I think ultimately it comes down to saying, I'm going to discipline myself in here, as we've seen Paul say this. You know, they do so good for a while. But, yeah, I know that's, that's, a, that's, uh, that's a different game there. That, that's, a, that's a tough situation. And it has to be dealt with, and I think the church has to deal with it. And if the church is afraid to do it, now, and, and I know what your belief on, on discipline is, which is correct, but I know a lot of churches will not do that. Well, they are disobedient. They're not following with what the Word says. Yeah, there's a big price to pay. You could lose a lot of people. Well, that could be good for the rest of the church, too. I, I think one of the things that Elvin's saying, though, is that it's kind of like Ray Comfort said one time, the, the false current... The false convert jumps into sin, and the, and the true convert falls into sin, and and that's the difference of what he's saying. Where 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 if they're going okay for six months, and then just all of a sudden just you know something happens or whatever, and they just don't deal with things in the correct manner, and the next thing you know they're wasted. And then you go know? another six months, and they do it again. Yeah. I mean, what do you do? What do you do with well, that? I, I don't know. That's why I'm not a pastor. Um, you know, yeah, but, but you're a brother. Is that you know? I mean, there are people that fall off the wagon, whatever yeah. sin it might be, all the time. You know, and that's where we have to watch where we where we judge. You know, what what is a pattern? Is, is a pattern once a week? Is a pattern once a month? Is a pattern once every six months? You know, I mean, it, it seems to me that. Wouldn't you want to ask why are why are you going? Yeah, you know, I mean, why is this happening though? This is still a frequent a thing. Issue. It yeah, still keeps deep, happening. Yeah, Let's go into the deeper yeah, issue. Deeper Let's go issue. into the spiritual. Yeah. Have, where have they? You know, where were they at at the time? Were they in the Word? Uh, probably not. Maybe for the last two or three weeks. Maybe a couple of months. Maybe they haven't been into it. Maybe a week. I don't know what it is. You know, we don't know. And boy, you know, this this is really tricky. But I think it's serious when one gets over the edge when there is a drunkenness and it's there's a somewhat of a consistency about it. It's not like, you know, once oh man I messed up, you know, and five, ten years later they do it again. We're talking mm-hmm. something here that that's deeper. And that's what we want to get. We don't want to kick them out of the church. We want to build them up. We want to take that load off of them. How can we help you? What's going on? There I guarantee you there's probably something something else there. Yes. And you knew that. I mean yeah, it's yeah. frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> so, then did you get to go to the nagging wife? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to take it out. <laughs> Why did she nag? Then, then now we got this dish. This, this could be deep stuff. Oh, this is tricky. And this is, I think you're right, Eldon. Christians can do some really bad things, whether it be the drinking, the drunkenness. You know, you can go on and on, you know, with, with different things. Then, 
and, it, and it's good that somebody can go to them. That's the whole issue here, and not stumble them up, but try to build them up. What really is going on? I'm really concerned because this happens two times a year. You know, what is going on? What really is here? And then we can go to that issue, then it's the wife. Now we've got, we've probably got a marriage problem going on here. So now that has to be dealt with. What's inside that marriage problem? Oh, my. This whole thing about being a Christian is really hard. And we know it's not just the pastor that is to do that. It's all who are spiritual. I'm not correcting you, Bill. No, I, just, I, know. I know you said that yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. But the Galatians, Galatians passage says to go to them. Because you too, and this is where it comes back to me, I too could get into the same kind of problem. Some, maybe not exactly what they're doing, but something else that I could be having a problem with. So we can't be prideful about is what you're saying there. Yeah, so, but, oh, I mean, this is hard. The thing is, is that, is that in the, in the, even in the Reformed theology, we know that God is always working and that we haven't seen the Like God has seen the beginning and God has seen, and God has seen the end, so we already know. Now I'll give you a quick example of where I ran into a 20-something a couple of weeks ago where um, they and a few of the other people that I know who will remain nameless decided to go see Saw 6. You know, rated R, 50 F-bombs in, you know, in the movie, violence, gory, nasty, nasty movie, okay? Then decided to take the group and go up to the Necropolis Haunted House in Columbia, okay? Now, these are people that a lot of other people look up to as very spiritual people. And I had to, you know, I had to confront this individual about this event, and it was a very, very scary thing to do. But the worst part about it was, is when you read the scripture and, you know, when you see someone in sin and you and you bring it up and you see, you know, a trap or whatever, and they repent, you know, you've won your brother over. I couldn't get any repentance. I was getting mm-hmm. like blindsided, like, oh, well, it's just art and it's fun and it's an adrenaline rush and it's just, you know, and it's just stuff that you know we like to do and. You know, and I, I mentioned, yeah, I mentioned, you know, plugged in online. I know, I guess so. And I mentioned, you know, plugged in online, and I was like, well, plugged in online has an agenda. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to get anywhere explaining. You know, but then I heard something later on that really, really hit me with it, and that is that we are all the body of Christ. We are all connected. So if I go and sin, not only am I sinning, to the Lord, but I'm sinning against each and every one of you because we are all connected. Right. And that one kind of hit me where it's like, okay, well, we're all responsible to each other to try to be holy. You were the stronger brother there. The thing is, they saw themselves as a using so-called liberty, and they saw you as a weak brother. And if that be the case, then they should have said, oh, Romans 14, he has a problem, but you know what? Out of love. I'm not going to take a group up there. That's what Paul is saying, isn't he? That's extreme. But uh, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, something, yeah, like I mean, like Eldon says, there are places where we have to say something. When they go over that line, how do you know it's over the line? When it's sin. But the thing is, I, well, I guess what I'm saying is this. By me and by a couple of the elders from by the church, and there's still no change, so they leave the church. They go up the street a couple of blocks there in church Sunday yep. and they go, I've got some new friends that just throw their arms around them. 